You're listening to Liberty Beat Podcast, a show about liberty, society, and the world around us. This is episode 33, recorded Sunday, February 17th, 2013. If you like what you hear, or even if you don't, feel free to drop us a line at libertybeat.ca. The site has show archives and the latest instructions on how to join us on the air and share your opinions live. Also, please check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash libertybeat. I'm your host, Daniel Benoit, and with me is David Shepard. Hello. And Chinaman. Hello. And a very special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Hey, this is Stefan Kinsella. I'm really glad to be here. I'm an attorney and libertarian theorist in Houston, Texas. My uh, my main website is stefankinsella.com. All right. Welcome to the show. Uh, Stefan, I, I must admit you are a personal hero of mine. I, uh, I've never heard anyone speak so eloquently on one of the most important topics to me, which is uh, intellectual property and the menace that that is. Oh, thanks very much. It's, uh, it's one of my, uh, my big hobby horses, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> so how about, we, uh, how about uh, you tell us a little bit about intellectual property? Like, what is it? I think it's like a very misunderstood concept. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and look, I've been—I'm I'm actually an intellectual property attorney, and I'm a hardcore libertarian. And early in my intellectual property career, I—I—I I, uh, I decided or discovered that IP is a totally invalid, unlibertarian idea. After much soul searching and thinking and researching about it, but it's taken a good I don't know, 20 years for me to kind of unsort these issues. They're very confusing. It's hard to figure out. I see the same old arguments over and over and over and over again. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, half the time maybe they're insincere, but they're not always. Um, and I understand the confusion. It's not an easy issue. Um, honestly, I think what happened is that there was a big mistake introduced early in political theory, which has sort of infected the entire. Uh, you know the entire edifice of thought that we have inherited, and that is sort of this Lockean and even Marxian idea about labor and the importance of labor and its relevance to value and property and economics. And I think that the problem is that people sort of think that you own yourself, whatever that means, because self is sort of a vague concept, right? It's not – if you say you own your body, that's a clear concept, if you say people own themselves, that gets a little bit more murky. So then you say, well, you own yourself, so you own what comes from yourself, which is labor. And therefore, you own what you mix your labor with, which is the Lockean idea. So I think this is sort of the background. A lot of people don't put it explicitly like this because they're not really familiar with Lockean ideas. But you hear this all over, over and over and over again. You hear people say, well, if I spend my effort to develop something that's valuable – then I own the fruits of my labor, don't I? So they keep repeating this over and over again as if it's clear that the purpose of law and justice is to make sure that everyone has some kind of property right to profit from the fruits of their labor, which I think is completely confused and wrong. It seems, reminds um, me a bit of school, sort of like uh, you expect gold stars and, and just, yeah. just approval alone is, is what you uh, – yeah. seeking first for your, yeah. your effort. It, yeah, and not it, only that, I mean, it, just this kind of basic idea sounds more socialist than capitalist, right? It's like everyone is entitled to a certain, uh, you know, societal return on their efforts or, or, or things like that, right? It's, just it's for, for existing the, or for 
for it, doing what they're is expected of them. It's like the effort itself is the thing that you put them on, that you get rewarded for rather right. than the actual product. Right. And the Austrian idea is that, you know, nothing has value intrinsically. Just yep. things have people demonstrate that they value things when they act to achieve them or they pay for them or they, they you know, they try to. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's easy to show that, too. Like I could take uh, some valuable resource and spend a whole bunch of labor turning it into a gaudy piece of art that no one likes. Uh, so my labor doesn't actually imbue that piece of art with value. Wait, wait, wait. How, how about like weightlifting? If I go to like, you know, go and train with like a bunch of heavy w- weights and I just keep lifting them all day long. I mean, I'm putting in a lot of effort. Do I deserve money for that? <laughs> well, and not, I mean, if, if you think about <laughs> physics, right? I mean, the, the physics idea of work is uh, force move through distance. So if you yes. push on a wall for an hour, you might sweat, but you've done no literal work in the physics sense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, the, and as an analog, and I, I, I'm leery of metaphors and analogs, analogies but in scientism however this is a pretty good one in the in the economics concept if you spend a lot of money or time on something that no one wants to buy it's worth nothing it doesn't matter how much you put into it Um, in fact one of the copyright ideas that was struck down years ago by the supreme court was called the sweat of the brow doctrine and what that said was um, you have a copyright in something that you that you had sweat of the brow, which means you put a lot of effort into. So the classic example was like a map. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of effort to make a map. Like you have to go around the country surveying, et cetera, and making the map. Mm-hmm. But the problem is under copyright doctrine at the time, you had to have something – you had, some, had something called creativity or originality, right? So when you – Make a map. There's really nothing creative or original about it. Yeah, you're, you're, just, you're sort of making a copy of the Earth. <laughs> Basically, and you're anything just you're just, just telling people. Yeah, yeah, you're telling people facts. Mm-hmm. And so, for a long time, you could get a copyright in a map because of the sweat of the brow doctrine. And the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, in the the Feist F E I S T case, rejected that. I don't know, thirty years ago, something like that. So it made it harder to get copyrights in maps. So guess so guess what people started doing? They started actually putting what's called traps, copyright traps in maps, like paper streets. So, yeah, a fake a fake cul-de-sac or a fake street, and so they would just put a fake street on the map, and so that they could prove that someone else copied it because, you know, there's no real cul-de-sac there. And I guess they claim that that's their art. That's the uh, and that that's yeah. original and creative. Mm-hmm. This false idea about reality or whatever because that's what fiction is i guess so now their maps are a blend of fiction and fact solely to get to take advantage of copyright protection there's lots of uh, of of other examples of similar ways that copyright and patent which are types of ip which you asked me about and which i haven't generally generally defined yet but i think we'll get to it but there's lots of examples of how uh, these things corrupt and distort culture and science and innovation. So, for example, um, Hewlett Packard is not in the business of selling printers. They're mm-hmm. in the business of selling ink, right? So what they want to do is they want to sell a bunch of laser printers, and they want people to buy the cartridges. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that they, if they spend a lot of money making a good printer, which they've done, and people buy it, and they don't make much profit off of that. And then they buy generic print cartridges, then they don't get their profit margin on the print, on the ink, sorry. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they they design a, a circuit that really performs no function except to mate with the second circuit on the 
printer. So the, the cartridge has a circuit, the printer has a circuit, and they have to mate with each other to activate. And then they patent those things, and therefore a generic you know, you know, competitor couldn't make a print cartridge that's compatible with their printers because it would be infringing the patent. It's interesting because it's, so, it's sort of patenting something that artificially limits the usefulness of a device. It seems sort of like yeah, the opposite of improving and, things. And, you know? I, I've seen these chips actually in various devices, in uh, printer cartridges, satellite receivers, all sorts of things. And some of the worst part of it is that they're very simple chips. There's nothing that special about them. They're patented, and it's almost this sort of trap that says, oh, look, you could build this in about eight seconds if you had the right kind of lab. Just go ahead and yeah. do it so we can sue you. Yeah, and another example in copyright, that's patent, which covers invention. Another example in copyright would be um, this Omega or Omega watch case where Omega sell, sells watches, and Costco, you know, this big discount chain in the U.S., um, well, they would go down to some South American country. Or some, I can't remember the country. It was like Costa Rica or somewhere. And they would buy the the authorized Omega watch there, which was sold at a cheaper price by mm-hmm. Costco because of price discrimination. So yeah. let's say the watch is 19000 here and let's say 9000 there or something like that. They would go buy it there legitimately and they would import it back to the U.S. and sell it in Costco for, let's say, 15000 So – you know, they were basically engaging in arbitrage, right? Mm-hmm. And so Costco didn't like this because they want to price discriminate, which I understand. And there's nothing wrong with price discrimination. The problem is they want to use these monopoly anti-competitive privileges of the state called patent, copyright, and trademark mm-hmm. to stop it. So what they did was they designed this little world logo symbol and they put it on the – they etched it in very small print on the back of the watch. Mm-hmm. Which is a copyright, which is a copyrighted symbol now, yeah. and then they accused uh, Costco of violating their copyright. And Costco's <laughs> first defense was to say, "Well, under copyright law, there's a uh, there's a first sort of use defense, where first sale defense, the first sale doctrine, which mm-hmm. means right first, you can yeah. in charge a monopoly the first time, but after that, which is why you and I can sell each other our watches, or we can sell eBay, each other yeah. a used book because yeah. it's not a copyright infringement." And the the court ruled that um, that the first sale doctrine only applies if the first sale is inside the borders of the U.S. because of the, the way this arcane copyright statute is written. Oh, wow, that's pretty now, cheap. This is heading up to the Supreme Court, but if they actually finally rule in Costco's favor, I'm sorry, in Omega's favor, what what that potentially could mean is that um, libraries, let's say, around the United States. Can no longer even re lend used books that were purchased outside of the country, or that Amazon cannot can no longer allow the sale of used books. You know, they have these used books they sell mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from their customers if they were printed outside of the U.S. I believe so. It's potentially a huge uh, impact on free speech and, and freedom of expression, especially about, um, with the Wiley versus Kurt saying. Say again, Wiley, John Wiley and Sons versus Kurt saying. Yeah, that, that's. I think that's the current case heading up to the court now. And then in the in the field, of, so that's copyright. I talked about patent and copyright. Mm-hmm. Just giving examples of how these laws distort practices, so people can take advantage of these monopolies. Mm-hmm. In the field of culture and sort of fashion, 
there is very little trademark or copyright, well, very little copyright or patent protection in the field of um, like purses and uh, uh, clothing, et cetera. So that there's a huge knockoff industry, right? See, and yeah, I'm surprised with that too because that actually, you know, if you're going to go for art only, that's actually a form of art. There's, you know, there'd sure. be very few people who would argue that that isn't actual art. Right. No, there, there's obviously artistic aspects to it, but there's functional aspects too. And the, mm-hmm. the problem is you have these legislated artificial laws that just emerge like trademark, patent, and copyright. And they don't cover everything. They cover their little domain because of they're trying to please the special interests they were trying to please. Mm-hmm. So there's gaps, of course, and there's inconsistencies too. But in the field of, of fashion, it's always been a free for all, and it works fine. It's a billion, you know, multi hundred billion dollar industry. But what you see people do is, like uh, these uh, Chanel and Louis Vuitton purses and shoes and luggage, they slap their trademark all over it. It becomes mm-hmm. part of the design, and they do that because then they can sue knockoffs because they're violating their trademark. So they don't have copyright or patent. So what they do is they actually embed their trademark as part of their design. Hmm. Now I I have no idea if in the free free society, you know Hermes or Louis Vuitton or Chanel would actually have the their symbols embedded as part of the fabric or the perch or shoe design. But I kind of doubt it. I think what hap- what happened is they did that just to take advantage of trademark law. So they. They looked around at all the IP laws out there. Which one can we take advantage of? And so we probably have an entire cultural you know, industry that has been distorted and perverted because of uh, – Yeah, rather than focusing on making a better handbag, they're instead focusing uh, – on they're, they're putting resources into monopoly. the legal side of things. Yeah, how to put yeah. the word yeah. Gucci yeah. in the background so, on it. <laughs> Yeah. So, so some so, people so, might say though that this is a good thing because some people may want a genuine Gucci bag, and uh, oh, there's all these knockoffs floating around there. Uh, wouldn't... Well, I, 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 I well, I, so I would say that well, I don't think that the purpose of the founders in establishing the government was to make sure that people, you know, knew that they were buying legitimate Gucci bags. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of silly. <laughs> Uh, and furthermore, I'd say that almost no one is ever defrauded. I mean, ha- I mean, seriously, have you ever in your life ever even talked to or met or even heard of a single person out of the 7 billion people on the face of the earth ever, even a single time, who bought a Rolex watch for $20 who thought they were getting a real Rolex? <laughs> well, there have like, been I'm situations. The back of a truck. How come it's not the real deal? Like there's been situations no, where even yeah. this has happened to me where I've wanted the, the original just because I wanted the original. It's not that much different from a knockoff, but I wanted it. And then it turned out that what I got was a knockoff. And uh, it seems to me like the, that that was fraud against me. So it, but that doesn't necessarily draw the line, though, between that wait, and wait, trademark. Wait, so what was, the, wait, what was the case? Could you, could you explain that again? What was the case? If I, I go out seeking an original of something... Uh, right. From from the, the the guy who invented it or the guy who created right. it for the first time, uh, I make the purchase, but it turns out that it what I purchased was a knockoff. Yeah, I think that would be fraud, but that never happens, is what I'm saying. I mean, when does it ever happen in reality? Well, the, like uh, 
the, well, for one, if you're a fan of something, it's just actually this sort of thing. I don't know if it's a, the entire situation happened to me, but I've, I've heard of it happening to others seeking the same interests that I have, where, where they wanted to get something original and genuine, uh, and they got something just as good, but it wasn't from the actual people. Uh, this mod chips, for example. I and now yeah. I have to say, I used to be in the business of selling and installing mod chips back when they were still legal in Canada. They're now kind of not legal, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the mod chips were one of the most funny things I used to find knocked off all the time. And I was thinking, you know, of all things, this is probably the hardest one for the original company to actually try and do something about because. Then they got to come in, they got to describe what the mod chip does. The court's going to look at them kind of sideways like, why are you even here? And <laughs> what, what's, Can you guys tell me, what's a, what's a mod chip? Basically, it's a chip you'll install in a game console, and once it's installed, all the protection on the game console Well, not just is, a game console. It gone. could be a, a chip that you install in a printer, uh, for yeah. the, the example that you gave earlier, that essentially um, changes the code inside the, the printer just manually by, like, wiring into it. Generic cartridges. Yeah, so yeah. that it can accept a generic cartridge. Basically, it removes but, but, these but how, sort of security What would a fraudulent mod chip be? So these are not made by the manufacturer, so they're inherently sort of black market Great kind region, of things. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they, in fact, actually, there's there's usually uh, three or four companies in most of these sorts of markets that will actually come up with the original ideas, build the actual original piece of equipment that does the modifications necessary, and then oftentimes you'll find, uh, it's usually from China, China Labs, they'll go and uh, dissect the chip, figure out everything about it, and then build an identical one that, you know, obviously does everything the same way, and there you go, you've got your knockoff. Yeah, I mean, that I, device a lets you use knockoffs. <laughs> look, I've had to buy like a replacement battery for my mm-hmm. cordless phone at home, and I look up the little serial number on the back of it, and or the model number, and I go on Amazon and I see these kind of grainy pictures, and you can tell it's kind of a Chinese knockoff. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I buy for three dollars, and I get a battery, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, but there's no really well, fraud. Bloated. But e- yeah, yeah there's there's no fraud. problem if you know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. But yeah. the the problem comes when you're you're essentially being deceived either explicitly or implicitly. You think you're getting it from like the original manufacturer, but it's it's not. Yeah, and the Gucci bag example is another good one of this. Like I, um, I got an example. The the originality of the Gucci bag is pretty much its entire value. It's a status symbol, yeah. right? And so if yeah. you right. get a knockoff, even if it's physically identical, if it didn't come from Gucci, then it doesn't it's it's not what you wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how about this? What what if you went to see a rock concert? You know, like, I don't know, you wanted to see a rock concert, and they lip-synced it. <laughs> okay, I don't know how that relates. Like Millie Vanilli. Okay, let's see, you know, like, some, some Justin Bieber fans mm-hmm. go out to see Justin Bieber, and they find out that he's lip-syncing mm-hmm. his concerts, right? I mean, they're going to the original source, they're seeing Justin Bieber right there, but he's playing a recording of himself. It's not the but, real thing. So, 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 so let me point out something here. So you notice the example you guys are giving. You're giving examples of possible or real fraud, Although mm-hmm. I think they're kind of far fetched, because sure I think in most of these, in most of the context, you know, there's no fraud going on, yeah. and you're give, and you're giving an example of a contract breach because you're saying, I mean, unless there's a contract breach, there's no problem. I mean, if Justin right. Bieber promises to sing the song live and he doesn't, then maybe he ripped you off for your $140 ticket or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So the the thing is, people always do this. They say, well, because contract breach is wrong, and because fraud. We all agree that fraud should be prohibited. Mm-hmm. Therefore, IP is valid. So that, that that's the reason. <laughs> that's quite through. a leap. Yeah, really? Yeah, no, they do this all. They do this all the time. So they'll they'll, they'll confuse table. 
Yeah, they'll confuse copyright with plagiarism. They'll com- they'll confuse patent with copy with contract breach, and yeah. they never have a coherent argument that that. I mean, look, mm-hmm. you don't need trade if, if, if we all agree we should prohibit fraud. Mm-hmm. Then why do we need trademark law? Well, yeah, that's the whole point, right? You don't need copyright, trademark, or any of those other laws to enforce fraud law. If you are, you know, if you're defrauding somebody, that's a simple case that can operate in a vacuum of any of those other items. Yeah, just like the other intellectual property laws, this is injecting a third party into the situations. There's there's party A that did the selling and party B that did the buying, and uh, B feels that they've been ripped off, but then there's C, who made the object that was kind of emulated, who thinks that they're involved in this defrauding situation and, and has legislation to back them up, and it's, it's really not valid. Well, yeah, well, in the case of trademarks, so what you have is you have uh, Chanel using the government to stop someone from selling a bunch of fake Chanel bags, right? Now, they're not the victim of fraud. They weren't defrauded at all. Mm-hmm. And the customers of these bags weren't be, weren't being defrauded either, theoretically. I mean, Yeah, there, there are some that knew what they were getting. It's assuming that the customers know that they're buying something that looks like a, you know, that bag but isn't. Yeah, yeah so that's true. It doesn't even require them to have been defrauded. Like they may have known exactly what they were getting. But yeah, they, no, no, that's the whole problem with copyright with trademark is that it doesn't require a showing of fraud. It only requires a showing of a, a likelihood of the possibility of consumer confusion, whatever or whatever mm-hmm. that means. So and and not only that, the, Chanel is not the victim, but I guess they ha- they're 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 really looking out for the rights of their potential future customers, who are going to buy a twenty dollars Chanel bag at the dock in Turkey, you know when, <laughs> you know really like these guys are potential Chanel customers. I mean, come on, seriously. So it's it's the whole thing is a, is, is 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 preposterous. Um, it's 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 not really about fraud. Um, it can't be justified with fraud, and copyright law cannot be justified with plagiarism complaints, and patent law cannot be justified with, oh, you competed with me. That's so unfair. You stole my customers. It's like, well, I didn't know you. <laughs> yes, I, didn't know you owned my, I didn't know you owned your customers. <laughs> I, I think the whole customer <laughs> argument is always so silly too. When I was in college, we used a piece of software which cost thirteen thousand dollars. I went to a store. I was like. Just for the heck of it, you know, I'd like to see well, what's the cheapest version of this software. It's got to be a student edition, right? And uh, they're like, yeah, we looked it up. It's $13,000. It's like, yeah, okay. And, of course, there was a uh, copy that floated around the whole classroom that everybody uh, everybody made a copy of. And, yeah, okay, let's say they did come and sue us. We're college students. We probably have five bucks. There was no way ever we would be a customer of this company, but they would treat us as if we ripped them off of $13,000 right. that we never even had to start with. Yes. And that you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't have spent on them. I mean, they didn't lose a sale, and, but, they, but, but their implicit logic is that they were entitled to that sale, which yeah. means all these IP disputes are not really about the, what, what Tom Palmer calls the ideal object. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's, it's, it's really literally impossible to have a property right in an idea. Mm-hmm. Because it's not something you can control and, and contain. What 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 it, it, you know? You ever hear people say that there's wars fought over religion? <laughs> well, really, there's never religion is never a battle. I mean, that's just the excuse used to try to kill someone. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, the dispute is over their body or their land. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm going to take, I'm going to stick a spear in your body, or I'm going to take your gold or your or your house, or your, your woman, mm-hmm. for this reason, and that's because you have the wrong religion. In other words, 
people confuse what the dispute is really about. The dispute is always, always, always about scarce resources, which is people's bodies or physical property. If the dispute was about ideas, then the weapons too would be ideas. Exactly. And, 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 and you notice the IP supporters are never happy with letting that be the, the way we settle disputes. In other words, okay, so you took my idea, so in retaliation I get to take some of your ideas. Okay, fine. You know, go ahead and take them. <laughs> I mean, well, they I believe- always want to take some of your money. Or some of your land, or they put you material. in jail. Well, yeah. which uh, so, which country was it? Malaysia, or um, there's there's a country that the uh, I think Weibo decided was going to be allowed to have twenty five million dollars of a uh, copyright no, fraud against it's, the it's, U.S. It's, it's, it's Antigua. Antigua, yeah, was it? And it was not Wipo. W, the WTO. WTO. Uh, it's, 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 it's an ongoing thing. It's been going about five years now. Yeah, that's and coming I, to a head. I find that hilarious because it has to be one of the first times I've ever seen where it's like. Okay, so since you know we can't have this idea going out of the states of uh, having gambling, we're going to let you steal some U.S. ideas. Sounds sounds like a plan, you know? Yeah, it's it's actually it's kind of cool. It's I, I like Antigua <laughs> giving U.S. a finger. Of course, they're going to get nuked if they push it too far. So I, I hope they, they sell everything for a penny. That way, they can well, keep it going I, on I the longest. Well, I never understood their plan for like so. The U.S. owes them twenty million bucks or twenty-five million bucks. Or, I don't know if it's per year or total or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, so we owe them something maybe per year because we're continually hurting them with our gambling <laughs> restrictions, which violate what WTO. But anyway, I don't understand how Antigua pirating Hollywood movies is going to get them money. I guess are they going to sell them at like? Well, my guess is if I was if I had this right, what the first thing I would do is I'd take all the uh, pirate copies of movies out there, all the really good ones. I'd put them on a website, and I'd have you know a penny per click. You click on this, you download this, you know, direct to your computer, completely legal. Right. You get a license right. for it, and you get the movie. Yeah, they should sell for the lowest cost because then they can really hurt Hollywood more. Yeah, and that's what that's what they're trying to do. They're just trying to get leverage on Hollywood to get Hollywood people to call a congressman to say what the hell are you doing mm-hmm. would you please settle this shit with antigua yeah. <laughs> stop hurting hollywood that's what they're trying to do it's but, funny um, they're bringing in that third party aren't they no they are but they're bringing in the mafia i mean hollywood is yeah. the mafia in my in my view i mean they're, they're horrible yeah. these guys are complete fascist sensorial bullies um, so I have to ask you, since you've been in the in the actual courtroom situation over some of these cases, I, I assume. Um, how often do you hear these people uh, suggest that copyright infringement is theft, like it's theft of actual objects? And how much of that, you know, how much uh, lip service do they get for that? I mean, all the time. Everyone accepts this idea. It's a complete. It's a complete confusion. But it's. Uh... That, that actually surprises me. That surprised, I, I always thought that the the law was never written, like that the property never showed up in there. That it was all about uh, monopolies, like temporary. Well, monopolies. but the, but but they 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 try to they try to you know color their case so that they're going to win. So they put emotional you know connotations on. They characterize the bad guy or their defendant. Mm. They call him a thief. Like Kim dot com is a thief. And if you say, well, what did he steal? Oh, he stole my ideas. It's like, well, you still have them, so he can steal your ideas. <laughs> so what's so he going to give them back? Uh, <laughs> you know, I know, right? Th- this would imagine if a thief came into your house, and they uh, they went and let's say they they used your your table saw to cut a couple of pieces of wood, and then after that they polished it up so it looked totally brand new, right. and then they left your house. 
you might be a bit perturbed they came into your house, but at the same time, it's like, you know, that that has to be the nicest thief in the entire yeah. world. Yeah, except that going into someone's yeah. house without the permission is yes. actually wrong. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. I heard a good a good example. Someone said, like, uh, let's say someone needs, I don't know, a new kidney mm-hmm. or a new liver, and he can't get one. And he, he, he has some machine that can just – he's walking down a public street, and he sees you, and he just kind of aims it at your abdomen and takes a photograph, you know, internal photograph of your kidney. Mm-hmm. And he just maps what it looks like, and then he's got some machine that will print out a brand-new kidney at home. That he can put in his body and, and live for another thirty years. Mm-hmm. Now, would the guy who was photographed be? Did you steal something from him? Really? <laughs> wow! I mean, like smart. what you, you described just... there is like a dream. Like when I sit and think about that, I'm like, wow, the future would be just tremendously amazing if that happened. But in the mind of the like the the IT proponent, that's like a dystopian future. You know, you're well, getting that's, into that's, it's like it's like you can just take a picture of my kidney and I don't have to donate it and I can save your life. You're getting right. into a whole set of copyright law that really grates against me, and that is. When you hire a photographer to do things like take pictures of you or your wedding and things like that, and then they own all those pictures, you paid them for the explicit purpose of taking pictures for you, and then they just give you, you know, like a couple of shots of each, and they say, oh, yeah, it says on the back they're copyright, so if you go to Walmart, then uh, I'm going to sue you for lots of money. If you want more, $500 a piece. Yeah, no, and of course, in the free market, you would you would hire people to perform these services, and because they didn't have a copyright royalty stream coming after, they might charge a little bit higher price than they do now, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't have this thing to hold over you. It's, it's even worse than that. Let's say you're on vacation, and you're in Disneyland, and you, and you, know, you see a, a, a group of cute Japanese girls kind of taking a picture of Mickey Mouse, and one of them is taking a picture of her four friends, and so – what do you do? You say, would you like me to take a picture of you? So mm-hmm. she hands you her camera, and you take a picture of all five girls so they can be in the same picture together. Mm-hmm. And then she might reciprocate and say, would you like me to take a picture for you? So you've both done each other a little tiny anonymous human favor, right? Mm-hmm. But you don't actually own the copyright of the picture in your camera now because some anonymous yeah. Japanese girl took the picture of it. She's the author. <laughs> She could, she could. It is an actual possibility. It's probably not likely to happen, but she could come after you in court for yeah. using a photograph of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, with you your could own argue camera. You, have, you could argue you have an implicit oral contractual license to use it and all this kind of crap. Well, once it but, comes to court, then the punishment has already been exacted. The you've been sued. That hurts enough. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I mean, but the point is, so let's say that she happens to take a great picture of you and your wife, or you and your kid, or whatever. And it's like an amazing picture. And you want to have a poster made of it. I mean, and let's say, you know, Apple iTunes or whatever the health service you're using says, well, this is a really, it looks like a professional picture to us. I mean, what's your, how do you, mm-hmm. who's the copyright owner? Can you prove you own the copyright to this? And they mm-hmm. won't print it for you because you, you, you actually don't own the copyright to the goddamn thing. I mean, it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It was in my camera. I mean, there, look, honestly, there was one time about, Ten years ago, or actually established a fake website that said Stephanie Kinsella photography, so that when I got these bullshit questions from these stupid photography printing companies like <laughs> Ophoto, 
when they said prove you're the whatever, I could say, "Oh, I'm a photographer. Here's my website." <laughs> I actually did that. I mean, I mean, but I mean, how many people can do that? What a waste you know? of time too to have to do yeah, that. That's crazy. You have to prove that you're the one that held the camera. So they have to develop cameras that, that can actually take a fingerprint of the button that's pushing the, the, the uh, shutter release. Oh, oh well, there was, there was a recent thing about a year ago. There was some guy who these uh, bongos or some kind of orangutans or monkeys took his camera from him, some photographer. Mm-hmm. And they took a bunch of ca- fake pictures that are kind of cool, like of each other doing crazy monkey shit, right? And so um, – The monkeys own the copyright. Oh, really? So, no, so the question is, who owns the copyright? And no one knows, but the, the answer is probably there is no copyright in it at all because no yeah. human would that's, that's one of the things. Copyrights are given out automatically. No. Like you just get them as soon as you make something. Would, so having something without a copyright is extremely rare. I would assume right. that the owner of the monkeys would be the owner of the copyright. And if there was no owner of the monkeys, then the owner of the land the monkeys are on would be oh the owner God, of the Oh, my God, we're going down the rabbit it's, hole. It's, it's possible, but it could, it could also be the camera owner because – you know, you could say he set up the situation where he handed the, the camera to a monkey mm. or he allowed himself to be aggressed against or stolen from by a monkey. <laughs> I don't I mean, it's just it's so unnatural and unreal. But yeah. and if, if, um, the, if you're an employer and you're employing a photographer and then that photographer takes your picture, it's probably completely different. Like this shows the arbitrary nature of, of this uh, legal system that, for I, IP law. This, this is suddenly reminding me of like um, some of the arguments that I've. I don't know, I've had when, when they're like religious arguments. And it's like, well, what happens if, you know, uh, you had your arm, if you lost your arm in a, in a car accident and then, you know, like if you died and went to heaven, would your arm be up there like waiting for you? Or Right, right. It's like one of those right. ridiculous arguments, yeah. No, you know, I think it's exactly like that. I agree. And we have IP law getting extended to the most ridiculous situations. We have the IP law equivalent of somebody asking you, uh, where can I find hookers? And you say, oh, you just go down King Street, you'll find them there. And then the cops come after you and bust you. And we have the IP law exact equivalent of that, which is if you link to a site yeah. that contains some sort of yeah. copyright material. Contributory infringement that, you know, or something like that. Yeah, you're in trouble too. Yeah, that's the uh, Richard – I think his name is Richard Dwyer. He was a, a UK grad student and mm-hmm. he he had a website with links to other websites in other countries which had allegedly copyright infringing material. Well, let's say they they probably were. But he just had links, and but the linking was actually legal under UK law. Mm-hmm. So the US is going cr- crazy and trying to get this guy extradited to the US. I actually <laughs> haven't heard the uh, the latest on this case, but this poor guy, his his probably life has been ruined. I mean, this is what happened to Aaron Swartz. I mean, this guy yep. committed suicide, and uh, he probably had some emotional issues or whatever. He was a special person, right? He. Dropped out of high school early. He was a genius, and mm-hmm. he was very passionate well, about one of some the founders things. of uh, of, of um... Reddit. Yeah, of Reddit, and also uh, the other one. There's well, there's Demand Progress, and there's one more R- RSS Demand EFM. Progress. Yeah. He's like EFM. a co-founder yeah. of like seven. Uh, just things just for something. our listeners' benefit, can can you like recap a bit um, what that case was about? So Aaron Swartz. Uh, uh, that was just copying documents from like a, a couple Swartz of public libraries. Was yeah, he's sort of a, a kind of quasi lefty techie data liberation guy, and part of his motive. So the first thing he tried to do related to this was there's something called Pacer, P A D E R in all caps, which is this library, uh, a, a database of legal filings in the U.S. 
and lawyers have to pay to get access to it. But the thing is they're getting – they're paying to get access to publicly accessible documents because in the US, government documents are not subject to copyright. Mm-hmm. Okay, So – and they shouldn't be. I mean nothing should be, but they shouldn't be of course because these are the laws and the legal precedents we all have to be bound by. So it's it would be obscene to – protect that by copyright, which other governments do, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we're and here so, in Canada, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think Canada's worse on this. Um, one, of the, one of the things you're worse than us on, in addition to socialized medicine, I'm right? going to have something I, to ask you about after you're done with this here, just to, sure. just to see if it's similar in the U.S. or not. But anyways, go ahead. Sure. So, so what Swartz did was, first, he hacked into the Pacer database and started publishing all these court... Uh, like cases, you know, decisions, and everyone went crazy, and, and then they they realized that they couldn't sue the guy because these are public domain. Yeah, but then and the also thing, whether it was hacking, it was in dispute as well. Well, yeah. I don't remember the details well, because he automated the process with the script. Yeah, no, otherwise was, it would have been fine if he did it all the, by hand. No, that I think so. I think that was the uh, the JSTOR case. So the first thing was Pacer. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But so Pacer he got away with because they couldn't charge him with anything. Well, then. He this JSTOR is a private database collection of academic articles, which every professor, like at M, you know, universities has access to. But it's MIT. very expensive. Yeah, MIT, yeah. for example. And basically, all so, the journals. And think about it. So all these professors who publish, who write these articles, they don't get paid. I mean, I've written a lot of these things myself. These non nonfiction, you know, academic articles. You don't get paid. You submit them to a journal. Sometimes you have to pay the journal to publish you. So it's this weird thing where there's this walled garden of millions and millions of interesting and useful uh, uh, journals and articles, journals and research and articles, which only the cloistered professionals have access to. Mm-hmm. And JSTOR guards it by copyright. I mean, look, honestly, and they didn't even pay any, for any of that stuff. If you talk to any author of an article. Like a typical law professor, they didn't get paid a dime for it, so they're not doing it for money. They're doing it because it's their passion or whatever. I think they would probably rather it be open to the world than than close it away. But unfortunately, they they usually stupidly assign away their copyrights mm-hmm. to these journals because of the industrial educational complex kind of system. You know the whole thing, right? So what's what what Aaron did was he. He wanted to liberate these articles, so he he was visiting at MIT or something, and he had an account, and he was entitled to access it. So he started started downloading these articles. Well, then the the network people noticed it, and they they stopped him. So he started spoofing his IP address and all this crap, mm-hmm. and they stopped him again. So he said, "I need a hard connection." So he went into a closet at MIT, <laughs> and he just plugged his computer in. And let it download data for like two or three days. This guy's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was awesome. So he was ballsy, and so it was downloading millions of articles, and which he never released. By the way, he just downloaded them, and so then they they I think they from what I've heard they detected it and they put up a camera and they 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 finally figured out who it was. So they <laughs> they caught the guy. Of course. And so then they charged the guy with violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which is a Bill Clinton freaking law and he was he was potentially going to go to federal you know sit in a federal cage for 35 yeah. to 50 years of his freaking life mm-hmm. 
Now, everyone says, oh, the prosecutor wasn't really going to do that. Well, they hold this shit out over you, and they, they say, I'm going to ruin your goddamn life. I'm going to kill you unless you agree to a five-year or two-year or whatever yeah. you know, plea deal. And then, and then you're a federal felon for life, and, this, and probably he'd have to agree to give up the internet for some amount of time, which was his life. Mm-hmm. So the yep. guy killed – he killed himself, and it's, it's anguishing and heart-wrenching. What they did, they killed this guy, this poor guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's murder. In my mind, it's pure murder. That's terrible. Uh, something. Well, uh, yeah, not to not to divert from this topic any further, but because he, you've uh, um, you've given like an absolutely I, ac- excellent. I've summit, diverted summit. It enough. Yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to kind of go back to something that you said before about how people will kind of mix up copyright and plagiarism and there's a lot there's an argument yes. i get a lot when i say that uh uh let's get rid of copyright after they're done being uh aghast that anyone would say such a thing they've literally never heard it before then they'll, right. they'll reply with um but then people will just take my stuff and put their name on it and uh, right. they think that's right. what it's about which is it's where there's a lot of ignorance just in general about what ip is about I think that's part. I think that's part of it. Uh, I think people are generally jumbled, jumbled, and confused on this whole issue. And, and um, look, let's let's go back for a second. Intellectual property is a term that is used by lawyers and government officials to describe uh, a set of legal, different types of legal rights mm-hmm. that have to do with the intellect, things that come from the intellect. And the traditional examples are patent, which deal with inventions. You know, like a 17-year roughly exclusive right to an invention, copyright, which is about a hundred-plus-year right to creative works like novels and paintings and movies or whatever. Steamboat Willie. Um, <laughs> yes, Steamboat Willie, and well, and that's a combination of trademark <laughs> and copyright, and then and then trademark and trade secret, and then also new things like database rights and also defamation law. Account. So it's like a body of law that deals with these things. I'm curious. Um, when, uh, when people sell Elvis memorabilia, then they're, they're giving uh, uh, like money to the Elvis estate uh, under like some uh, – what law – which one of those is that covered under? That's probably trademark. Interesting. So, so... Because he, he's got a – there's a trademark in the Elvis name. Mm-hmm. It could be copyright too. It's not patent for sure. It's not trade secret. It's probably trademark. Like, I was wondering if there was there was some specific law on likenesses and and such. Yeah, well, there's there well, there's publicity rights, which is also a kind of an that's called entertainment law. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and I I also consider publicity rights to be. Uh, look, the traditional IP rights are patent, copyright, trademark, and trade secret. Those are the big four. Mm-hmm. Then there's new there's newer ones that are legislated, like uh, the Semiconductor Mask Work Protection Act, which governs how you lay out an integrated circuit, which is like copyright sort of. And then there's also um, database rights in some countries. There's what's called mor- moral rights in some countries, which has oh. to do with at- attributing to the the mm-hmm. author of a play. We've actually covered moral yeah, rights the, on the show. That was, that was the Michael yeah. Snow thing, right? With yeah. The, uh, yeah. Those geese. What, yeah. what, and, or, yeah. Why don't you recap yeah, and, that just for a second, Dave? Just go ahead. Oh, yeah. there, oh, there's, there's a horribly ridiculous case where, uh, yeah, I believe it was Michael Snow. He basically was commissioned. He's an artist. Yeah, to sculptor. build these sculptures of, uh, I think it was geese. I can't remember exactly. Canada, some, Canada geese. That's Canada right. geese, in our, yeah. In one of our shopping malls, we have the mm-hmm. Inn Center, which has a, a, a sculpture 
which is a bunch of hung like they're, they're just hanging down on wires they're some canada geese mm-hmm. and uh for christmas the eaton center decided they put red bow- bows on them to kind of i guess dress them up for christmas and right. uh he sued because that was against his moral rights as an artist right and uh, yeah, in the end, they were uh, forced to take down the bows. I think they may have For taken bows. down the geese. I don't remember as well, but no, they're still up. Yeah. So yeah, that's the first thing I think people need to realize is that the IP is not just one thing. There, there's actually now, a multitude of things, like multitude of different laws. They're completely separate. Yeah, they're separate. Uh, there's a reason they're classified by lawyers together. Uh, the uh, the case you gave, I've never heard of that, but it sounds similar to others I've heard, and uh, usually. I mean, this is one of the cases, the places where the, the cases where the U.S. is not the worst, um, but like moral rights in other countries are more what we call like in France and probably Canada, from what you said, mm-hmm. they're more in, inalienable. In other words, you can't even, you can't even get rid of it. Although in the U.S. and other countries, you can't get rid of copyright either. I mean, <laughs> you have a copyright in something the moment you you know affix some creative original work in a tangible medium of expression. And that's it. You're you're stuck with it for, for life. And I you think can't get rid of it. They started doing that around the 1970s, didn't they? Before that, you had to at least put the copyright symbol on the work. No, it was it was the late it was late 80s, and mm-hmm. before that, you had to actually actively register your copyright and put a copyright notice on it. But nowadays, copyright notice is not necessary, nor is registration. So there's actually well, no, they got a they got a ton of like orphan works now. There's a software yes. author who. Uh, for many, many years, not a lot of people would touch his works simply because he absolutely refused to uh, claim copyright or even just claim any sort of license on his work. He uh, right. released some uh, DNS servers and mail servers because his name was uh, Daniel J. Bernstein. And literally when people asked him, he's like, I don't care. I don't care. I, like, it, it's yeah. yours. Just use it. Now they it. have copy left. Yeah, now he's actually claimed specifically that he's put it in the public domains because he's tired of uh, – Trying to explain to people yeah. his I mean, position, even if there's like a ninety nine percent chance that it's he's cool with it, it still would have like the legal ability mm-hmm. to sue you. Yeah, and the the, yeah. the problem is that, I mean, there's so many problems with IP. It's just so contrary to property rights. But one problem is you really cannot get rid of your property right, even if you want to. I mean, you you, you cannot put your stuff in the public domain. I get this argument all the time from people, and it's really, really, really annoying from like IP advocates, and they say, well, Kinsella, you're a hypocrite because you have your stuff that's copyrighted. Mm-hmm. I'm like, like, your goddamn state copyrights the shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you won't let me get rid of it. Yeah. How am I a hypocrite? It's sticky. I mean, it's, it's like ridiculous. So the, what about those little notices that they put on saying, now this is public domain. I, I have granted it to public domain. But it's domain. not. They're, they're wrong. It's not public. Just look, What if you say tomorrow – Let's say you're walking in the park and you just announce to the world, I hereby renounce my ability to uh, request Social Security payments when I'm 70 years old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, does that prevent you from asking for Social Security in, when you're 70? No. Nope. I mean, you see, it's just, it has no legal effect. Mm-hmm. There's no legal way to do it. You know, most property rights are dealt with by some private contract, which can either be evidenced by an oral agreement. Mm-hmm. Where there's testimony from one of the parties who, as to what they actually said, like words that mean something, or there's a written agreement, which is the more usual case. And so you can actually produce a, a writing. So let's say I, I give you an easement over my property, and I say, you know what, you're a good neighbor, and you need to have a shortcut to the grocery store. 
So you give me 10,000 bucks and I'll give you an, an easement for life or for forever, whatever, mm-hmm. over the back corner of my property. Well, I'm going to write up a contract and you can produce it if you need to. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the same thing with copyright. Like if, if I, if I, uh, if I have a, a novel I've written and you want to make a movie out of it, well, then I'll give you an option or I'll, I'll actually write a contract up. Mm-hmm. The problem with what people try to do is, like on their websites, they try to take advantage of Creative Commons, which I admire and like. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, like on my website, for example, at the footer of my website, it says everything on this site is hereby published in accordance with the Creative Commons license 3.0 mm-hmm. BY, which means all you need to do is say I'm the author and you're free to do what you want with it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is if we had a contract, if I had a contract with a certain person about that and I tried to sue them later for copyright infringement, they would just say, are you out of your mind? And they would produce the contract, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens if 50 years from now I have some heir – who sues someone for including one of my copyrighted works in their play. This how very podcast, pr- perhaps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How do they prove they had a license? Do they say, well, I think my grandpa said that he remembers looking at your website one day and he thought there was a CC notice on the footer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not legal proof. I mean, so what if I take the footer off tomorrow and 100 people mm-hmm. have downloaded the stuff and they've used it? It's and they, a, they didn't they didn't print it out. They're not freaking lawyers. It sounds so like this, one of the uh, big mistakes here is that there's no form of adverse possession when it comes to uh, copyright. You know, you can't say, well, I used it for 50 years and nobody complained about it, so I'm okay to use it. Well, there might be a version of that with what's called estoppel or latches, like if you don't mm-hmm. assert your rights for a long time. But, but again, that takes – that's uncertain and it, it's not a, applicable – applicable to every case yeah, and, and you said we're not all lawyers too and that just that if you're not a lawyer that makes it a minefield that makes it so that I know. now anytime I know. you ever copy anything from anywhere it doesn't matter if you are like 99.99% sure the guy is perfectly fine with it you still feel like you're stepping into a minefield and this is this is a chilling effect essentially like the the, the idea of, of using your creativity and basing it on someone else's is something that's scary now it's yeah, so and that should be it should be encouraged, right? I mean, we should all be encouraged to remix and to reuse and to. I mean, I mean, look, I try as hard as I can. I talked to my friend Jeff Tucker, and you mentioned him earlier today. We had a conversation earlier about all this. Um, I don't remember where I learned some things or like who my influence was. I like, yeah, I like, yeah, I, I got that idea too. I thought I came up with it on my own, or maybe I, I maybe I read it in a book when I was seventeen, and then when I was twenty eight. Kind of the the remnant ideas sort of influenced itself. I mean, people don't keep track of these things, and they shouldn't have to. This is what society is. This is the good thing about society that we can learn from each other. Yeah, this is the um, very definition of human progress: is that we take something from someone else and we build on it. It's like uh, I think it was uh, Isaac Newton. I think he said, "If I've seen further than anyone else, it's because I stood on the shoulder of giants." Mm-hmm. Of course, of course, that's one of the most profound things I've ever read. Because especially given what's happening now we we what we have is we i never answered your original question you said what is ip and ip is basically patent and copyright let's focus on that ip is the modern legislative system of granting basically certain monopolies and it's rooted in the historical 
practice of the state trying to control thought mm-hmm. and trying to grant monopoly privileges to to cronies mm-hmm. of the crown, basically. Cronies. So, for example, you would have some guy – Cronies. <laughs> I mean right. literally it was. So you have some guy who would – the king would say, you're the only guy who can make playing cards in this region of England. Mm-hmm. Or you're the only guy who can import goods into North America. That's called a patent. Letters patent, they call it. Um, and in copyright, it was, you you know, no one has the right to print these books unless they get the government's and the church's approval first. Mm-hmm. So it's all rooted in censorship and thought control and monopoly privileges and protectionism. That's well, the response to that out. might be I don't believe this, but even someone might say, Oh, it's not that way anymore. Now it's about protecting creators and artists and such. Yeah, so so well, so that's the or, well, I think the origins it, it, I think that people that advocate it need to be aware of its origins, but to be a little bit open eyed about it, not be so naive. Um it has been democratized and institutionalized, that's true. Um and in the, in the case of copyright, what happened was when the Statute of Anne was enacted in 1709, when the Stationers Guild monopoly was about to expire on who could print things, the authors actually were in favor of this new change in law because they thought if I'm an author of a book, right, and until now – the government has the right to decide who can print it. Mm-hmm. Well, if I have the copyright, now I can decide who can print it. So in other words, they were in favor of it because it was a way to escape government censorship. They didn't need the government's approval. Now the authors had the approval. right? In the case of patents, um, I think it was a fundamental, fundamental mistake based upon the idea that um, the government – can stimulate innovation in a certain area. I mean, look, it's nothing different than government research on pharmaceuticals or NASA and all these arguments you hear that, you know, we take money from the taxpayer. It's, it's just a different type of incentive. Like, we hear often that the, they'll incentivize, like, stem cell research or something. They just dump a truckload of money on them. But there's this other kind of incentive where they go, uh, if, if, you use, if you do this sort of action, we'll grant you a temporary monopoly. And then you can use that to, rather than just getting money straight from our bank account, you just extort it directly from the public, you know, cut us out, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, I would always rather a, a more honest system where that we just – and some, some of the IP guys, even libertarians like Alex Tabarrok and these guys, mm-hmm. they've said, why don't we like take $200 billion from the taxpayers every year Uh-oh. and give it to a government panel and let them award it to the most deserving medical innovation <laughs> science innovators every year. I mean, they say this. I mean it's, it's incredible, but it's the, it's the ultimate logic of IP, and it's actually more honest. And probably would cause less problems. You know, I, I the worst part that I find with this sort of thing is since this law applies to everything that each individual makes, it makes them it, – it, it requires that person to have a knowledge of what those laws are. And I can tell you, even for very simple things, it is incredibly difficult to actually get a copy of the current law unless it's something that's very popular. Like try and get a copy of your local bylaws. It's, it's a horrible pain. And to expect people to not just go through what is available for copyright law, 
But to understand all the case law behind it, because so much of it is rooted in case law, it's absolutely insane that somebody should have to go through all of that just so they can enjoy their own creative works and enjoy giving them to other people. No, I, I agree. And, and so it, it, it drives me insane when people say, well, we need patent law to help the small inventor. And I'm thinking like, you guys have no freaking clue about <laughs> what you're talking about because – well, sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll respond to that point with, like, a, an anecdote. Like, I knew a guy who knew a guy, and he was like, I made this thing, and then now I saw it on Deal Extreme or some other Chinese site uh, where there's a knockoff right. version. And I'm really angry now. <laughs> and that's, that's essentially, like, right. the, the, they, they just end the conversation, right? Like, I've just proved IP is great. Yeah, no, they do that. But I'm thinking, like, you know... Um, uh, do, do you really understand that patents are acquired by these mega companies that acquire oligopolistic, you know, kind of what the, what they do is like you'll have Apple and Rim, I mean Samsung, they'll sue each other, but mm-hmm. they really don't care who wins, yeah, because it's just a couple hundred million here and there, okay? So they're going to come up with some kind of agreement because. You know, Samsung has thousands of patents against Apple and vice versa. So what they do is they sue each other and they come up with a compromise. But the little guy on the outside has no re- – he can't, he can't spend $5 million to defend himself in a lawsuit. And even if he could, he couldn't win because mm-hmm. he doesn't have 5,000 patents to, to, to countersue the other guy with. It keeps him out of the game. And I see this of in cell phones. The companies you're mentioning make cell phones. And over in uh, over in this side of the water, it, you would never imagine a small person in their basement building a custom cell phone uh, that they're going to make a couple of thousand of for their friends and family and to sell and make a little bit you of know, money on. There was a Kickstarter recently of, mm-hmm. for a, a, a inexpensive 3D printer. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the 3D printers, uh, Stephanie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, like the, the well, just for our listeners' sake, essentially, uh, you can actually make three-dimensional objects like out of a little device that sits on your desk so essentially yeah if you need to replace a battery cover on the back of your remote control you can just download the battery cover and then send it to the printer and it comes out just like a 2d printer except it's it's a three-dimensional object and typically they're extremely expensive and it pretty much boils down to uh like the legacy of patents that are on Mm -hmm. them so there was a kickstarter I was talking with my buddy Jeff Tucker again about this recently about uh, the advent of encryption and bit torrenting mm-hmm. and digital t- is really hurting copyright. I mean, they really can't stop it, right? They yeah, cannot stop. This is a winning copyright. battle for us. I'm going to say yeah, that I mean, these that those cell phones that I'm saying people don't build in their basement here because of those rules over in China, and you're going to find this hard to believe. You're going to have to go on Google and search for it. They actually build their own custom cell phones, some people, right. and they will sell a few of them. And, you know, you might only find a couple of thousand. Why? Because they just buy the various chips. They figure out how to put it together. Yeah. They make the phone, and that's it. Of course, if they did that here, they'd be sued by every single cell phone company yes. yeah. and every single electronics manufacturer probably across the planet. I bet you yeah. they'd and, be and sued so hard. They, they, they would be owe, buddies with the people in the spectrum yeah. regulation, too, and they, then they would go after they'd them. They'd owe, like, the entire U.S. GDP before the trial was over. Yeah. Uh, well, I just wanted to finish up my story on the 3D printer. I forget the name of them. I'll, I'll include it in the show notes, but they're essentially they're being sued for, for patent infringement mm-hmm. before they've even made a single one. Wow. They well, even, and I think wow. that so, – so this is the battle. 
the battle is the state versus freedom and technology. And so the question is who's going to win? And I think that – I mean look, I think the state made a big mistake with um, – and I'm glad they did. But they made a big mistake with like in the U.S. with the D, the, the DMCA, the, mm-hmm. the Digital Millennium Copyright yep. Act. When they made that carve out for um, companies like Amazon and Google and et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know what they were doing, but they luckily they made a big mistake. Mm-hmm. So now the question is – so I think that encryption and Pirate Bay and torrenting are going to spell the doom of well, copyright. Well, uh, just for any listeners not familiar, what is that exception in the DMCA? So the DMCA says that um, if you have – if you're an ISP or ASP, they call it an internet service provider, and you basically own the infrastructure of a website or something like that, and other people are using it, and they post or distribute material that is potentially uh, – Violating the rights of other people under copyright law or under defamation law, as so long as you don't control it, and so long as you respond to a takedown notice, then you're not liable. So that's called a, a, a carve out, mm-hmm. and it's I actually completely oppose it because I don't think you should be liable in the first place. But at least what it, that's why we have this whole system of takedown notices now, and it's abused. I think it should be improved. Where I think that if you you know, if you send a a unjustified takedown notice, you should be liable well, for damage. Those takedowns are posted under penalty of perjury, aren't they? Yeah, but there's it's really. I mean, look again. Most people that are the subject of it are just average people, and they don't have the ability to fight it. Mm-hmm. And there's no there's no big reward for it. So it's it's just like the legal system. Like you can sue someone, and you can totally fuck them over without being liable for anything. So. <laughs> You can, you can, you. I mean, they take down millions of these things per per month or something. Mm-hmm. But, but it did give a. I mean, I don't think YouTube would have ever existed, for example, without this. Mm-hmm. So the state made a mistake. It made a mistake. So the question is, what's going to happen with the physical world, which is patents? In other words, I think that three D printing has the potential to undermine the entire state apparatus of control in this world and so there is going to be a coming battle and so the state is going and you've already heard the state saying that people printing magazine you know gun 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 parts and magazine rifles magazine parts and things like this with 3d printing they're going to start using this as an excuse to control 3d printing just Mm -hmm. like the state uses pornography child pornography and terrorism hmm. and uh, now the thing about yeah. that is it's going to be pretty much impossible except if they essentially institute a complete police state like imagine right. if they tried to control what you print out of your 2d printer like can you imagine mm-hmm. the the level of uh, intrusion that they'd have to have in your life in order right. to, to achieve I that goal? They, they, right i think they would have to have a police state but they basically were they were too late to stop the internet i think you'd okay. be surprised about the 2d printing thing if you print in color most printers do print their serial number in the picture in yellow dots. <laughs> yes, I don't true. think that's that's mandated. Though. And also, don't don't these printers also have like some kind of uh, something written to their firmware to prevent them from, say, printing money? 
Yes, if you yeah. if you photocopy money, most photocopiers will lock up on purpose. Yeah, they'll they'll have like a, a algorithm to detect it. Ooh, and that even looks Photoshop, like money. I'm just going to shut off. Photoshop will not save uh, any file that includes scan money. They have yeah. some kind of money. But as, as far as practicality goes, this seems like the key to unlock the door to freedom. Like there's there isn't too much that you can do to completely lock down someone's access to some physical object if they can just make one with incredible precision. You should. It's, I have like right behind me in the Liberty Beats studios right here a rep wrap machine that uh that does uh printing of 3d objects and it's it's amazing and the future is going to be bright with these things around i know of at least two cases though where the dmca has caused huge amounts of damage i can uh, think of the simple case of where the original xbox was hacked the encryption on it was hacked it was pathetically weak the encryption used uh, so that people could run their own custom software, not even so they could run any sort of pirated software, but so they could run their own custom uh, version of Linux or whatever software they'd like to load on there. And, of course, that was illegal. And we have uh, Dmitry Skylarov from, who uh, managed to crack the encryption on Adobe Acrobat files, which mm. was, again, incredibly pathetically weak. From a uh, cryptography standpoint, it's basically... Uh, trying to encrypt your stuff by adding another number to it. This, this really, this, this he he was actually invited into the U.S. under false pretenses so he could be. Uh, this is one of my pet peeves that uh, they'll copyright uh, machine code essentially, like uh, bits and bytes that the computer uses mm-hmm. to perform a task. A number. Yeah. Meanwhile, that's that's nothing like a. a picture or like uh or any sort of piece of art it's more it's closer to a machine it seems like it'd be something that'd be covered under patents rather than mm-hmm. it, it, it's functional we call it functional right mm-hmm. yeah uh so the you'll have these machines doing this task and then they'll copyright it as if it were like uh, a a creative piece of uh of art or something and now you can't do that task so essentially they've they've blocked your ability to perform a function rather than just to to duplicate and enjoy something i believe that was attempted with a uh, true type fonts basically any sort of fonts which are based on curves instead of actual dots are able to be copyrighted However, <laughs> yeah. be the um, the bitmap res- representation, the, the these little dots go here and these white dots go there, that is not covered under copyright law. So people will take the true type fonts, blow them up to huge sizes, create the bitmap of it, and then they'll have a program trace those and remake the curves, and then the uh, font is no longer copyright. Hey, uh, I'm curious what you guys think about this rompaul.com dispute. Uh, so have both of you guys heard about this, Jim and Dave? I've heard oh, a little bit, but I can't remember the whole thing about it. All I know is I was kind of upset with Ron Paul. <laughs> now, we're, we're actually pretty technical Uh-oh. people, so we'll have some insight into how the DNS system works. So right. uh, um, essentially, just for the listener's benefit here, what happened was um, uh, Ron Paul, uh, a, a politician in the United States, uh, and a a liberty activist, so to speak, uh, definitely much much better than the alternatives. Uh, he um, was running his campaign, and then some of his like most diehard fans set up a site uh, to like raise awareness and collect some funding and stuff like that. Uh, and they named it RonPaul.com, so the, that uh, address was available for them to register. Right. Now there's a there's there's a dispute resolution kind of system in place for someone who thinks that uh, a um, domain name was registered 
in order to uh, violate their trademark. Mm-hmm. And Ron Paul has decided to use this framework. He's essentially oh. saying that um, the, this, the trademark of ronpaul.com belongs to me because that's my name. The site's obviously about oh, me. Oh, now this is interesting because in Canada, in Canada, you cannot trademark your full name. Your full name, <laughs> this, is, this is actually, I remember a case from a long while ago. Uh, somebody was using their full name on a shirt and somebody else decided to make a shirt with their full name on it, which happened to be the exact same name of that other person. And there was no, uh, the court said there's no recourse because you're allowed to put your name on things. Well, my opinion on this is that, like, I, I don't know how to feel about uh, Ron Paul kind of betraying his uh, former uh, biggest fans. Although, um, when he first made, the, like, apparently he negotiated with them first, rather than going straight to the um, the um, WIPO or whatever, the, this dispute resolution kind of uh, for domain names uh, body. Instead of going straight to them, he said, like, can I just have this domain? And the reply that he got from ronpaul.com owners was, uh, you can have ronpaul.org. Mm-hmm. Or, you can have both ronpaul.org and ronpaul.com if you pay us like 250 grand. Yeah, they want big money. Mm. Yeah, big, big money. Well, there's something called domain squatting, but go on. Well, why don't you explain what domain squatting is? Because maybe this qualifies. Well, domain squatting is whenever you buy up a whole bunch of domains, um, you know, in the hope that, that someone will actually want to use those domains. And uh, like the thing is this you, in order for you to, uh, to have a website which has a name on it, like a domain name, like let's say Google.com, right? You have to pay, um, what? You have to re- you have to pay to get uh, mm-hmm. your domain name registered, yeah, like right? So basically, means that you're basically year. you're 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 paying for a computer mm-hmm. to reserve your spot, so that whenever pu- someone punches in, yeah. you know, your and that, that spot is sort of yours, you quote unquote. Yeah. Like it's like it's That's a possession right. of sorts. There's a little hack though that people use, which is. And this has been sort of fixed, but basically... It's like scalping. Yeah, if you want... Right? If Buying you, a whole bunch of tickets they're not going to use, yeah, right? If you it's register selfish. a domain and then change your mind within, I think it was three days, you only had to pay a few pennies. So basically what these guys would do is they'd go and register millions of domains all the time, constantly, and then go and undo them. So no one, no one thinks that's cool. Uh, but, and essentially, they're, they're sort of accusing this RonPaul.com of doing the same thing. You're trying to cash in on a domain which, um, if you're looking at it from the perspective of someone browsing the web, they type in that domain, they're probably looking for the actual Ron Paul site, not, mm-hmm. not a fan site. Yeah. So that's, that's their position. And I don't know if I necessarily disagree with this idea that uh, the domain should be handed over to Ron Paul. Yeah. And here's my reasoning. The domain name system is, is uh, it may be owned by governments, but it's largely privately kind of held. It's not, it's not a government institution. They, they, have, uh, they have like bodies set up to, to deal with those things. But you don't actually have to use those domain names. Did you know that? That's actually, you can, if you go into your computer and you tell it, I'm not going to use the official domain name system, I'm going to use this alternative system that was set up by some guy. Anyone could set, up, set one up if they want. Mm-hmm. And now anytime I type a domain name into, into my bar, uh, it'll go to a site decided on by those people, or, and they could ask for registrations as well. So the domain name system is largely voluntary, which is good because um, then the uh, you don't have to like it doesn't have to be about your 
uh, you know, rights or constitutional rights or natural rights or whatever you want to say when, when it comes to your domain name. It can just be, I, I'm appealing to the organization which has control over this. And they may have gotten that control in illegitimate ways like they are. Now, there is one interesting thing. There's no reason anybody else can't just go and make their own domain name system if they choose. There's nothing that prevents you from just saying... I'd like to make my own domain name system with so my own rules. If, like, obviously, it would be a pain to do that. But if they if the, they made the, the wrong would, decision enough times, if they gave away important domains, yeah. that's exactly what would happen. The software is even free, and frankly, it doesn't even take up that much resources. If you want to do it for just you and a few thousand friends, I bet you could do it for under two dollars a month. So, what are your thoughts, Stefan? So, I don't disagree with that strongly with most of that. Um, I think that so I think that what's going on there's an obfuscation here there's there's a clouding of the issue here what's happened is that the government has infiltrated the internet system with ICANN mm-hmm. they basically set up a quasi private corporation called ICANN which controls domain names which mm-hmm. basically just says we're we're going to distribute this internationally recognized list of conversions between an alphanumeric domain name and an IP address, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's voluntarily so-called agreed to it because it's the only game in town. Um, so I agree with you. If they abuse it too much, people would go to you know, other solutions. But imagine you have a phone number. Like, l- Let's say you have a phone number 1-800-flowers.com, like in the U.S., which is a very valuable phone mm-hmm. number to have. Now, you don't it's not a property right. You don't actually own a piece of property, but you have a contract with some kind of service provider that gives you this phone number that's valuable and you build a business model around it, right? Now, let's say that some guy named John Flowers files a trademark lawsuit in a in a US court and says that they're violating my trademark because they're their name Flowers. And the court issues an order to the phone company and says you have got to transfer your contractual rights over to this John Flowers guy from the original owner of the of the phone number. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not taking a piece of property, but you're basically using government IP law, which yeah. is statist and unlibertarian, cool. to to take property rights and contract rights away from people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's going on in this case. Sort of. They do actually tell you up front that uh, you can't register a name that's trademarked to someone else. Yeah, well, that, well, 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 that, well, I agree. They tell you up front, but they tell you because they had to adopt these UDRP rules, uh, uniform. That's true. Uh, it, it, but I, I believe that there would be a similar system if it was completely free market where um, if, if – People, if the people at large were going to this domain and not getting what they expected, that I think that there would be provisions when you sign up and ask for right, a domain, right, right, saying, right. But, but, we can take it. Yeah, but yeah, but you're going to fraud here. So you're saying that you're saying that we're not going to be the sort of reputable domain name, you know, handing out allocation system if we're going to have customers that are defrauding people or being deceitful. Well, it may, okay. not, it may not just be about fraud. It's a customer you know, service there, thing, there's right? There's a difference, though, between – and I look at it like this. There's a difference between, say, the yellow page is saying they're no longer going to publish your ad for your auto body shop that says, oh, you also are, operate a corner store when you don't because it devalues the quality of the phone book. 
versus having the government come in and say, mm, I don't like your auto parts, mm. and this guy across the street, he sells better ones and they're more accurate. So, yeah, that little uh, piece of the phone book is now his. Sorry. Yo, but, but let's talk about it. In fact, I mean, I've been around Paul.com. Mm-hmm. Have you guys been there? I mean, d- does it really I, seem like I checked like it out when this news broke. You, did it defraud you? Did it deceive you? No. No, it's not necessarily what I'm talking about, though. Like, if, if, it, so, if it could be just a customer service issue, because I'm, I'm a user of the domain name system, and it's administered by techie people like me. And if the users become unhappy with something, then, uh, like, if they feel that when they go there, this isn't what I expected, then it, you, you have, like, a, an obligation of sorts to service them to say that okay we're gonna take this record in our system that belongs to us and change what it points to uh because we told them when they signed up that they shouldn't be using it shouldn't be representing to be someone else the whole problem here is simply because the u.s government really controls the main domain system the one that everyone's using is that they're the ones who are making the decisions and if it was just a private contract that literally you know like with the yellow pages they they decide we don't like you anymore, we're not doing business with you, we're going to give our business to someone else, there wouldn't be any complaints. Ron Paul would right. be completely within his rights to phone up Yellow Pages and say, yeah. this sucks, I want it. And if Yellow Pages agreed with him, nobody would complain. The problem is that he has to go through and a Assuming the contract system. with the person that originally claimed it allowed oh, yeah, for such of things. of course. But yeah, although well, I get what you're I mean, saying, Stefan, that when I when you actually go to this actual site and this specific example, uh, I don't think that that anyone who's looking for this type of content and then lands on that site is going to feel like they were tricked into going there. So well, I get your point. I mean, look, it's, it's not only that point. The point is, what if 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 some company try to set themselves up as the centralized domain name allocating you know system, and if they had a rule that said if we don't like what you're doing, we're going to take it away from you. Will they succeed? No, I think we'd all say no. Well, as long as the, the way that they use that rule is is reasonable. If you look at other sites like Google, for example, they pretty much have a rule just like that. They say if we don't like what you have, we're literally just going to take it out of our search engine. So tough on you if you don't like that. And the the reason why it doesn't cost them customers is because they use it very sparingly and they have a market incentive to ensure that they make sure that both sides are happy. And this is what you, this is the problem you have when when it's run by government. And you, not only what Dave said that it's like, oh, this is public property. Now we have a a stake mm-hmm. in it. So they should do what we say versus but there's also the other side uh, of of that kind of equation as well. Well, I, I, I don't disagree completely. I mean, I just think that in this case, there's so – I mean, almost everything that the Ron Paul guys are doing mm-hmm. could not be justified in a libertarian society. I mean, you, you can't I – mean, I'm not saying they're doing something wrong because, you know, I'm not going to give advice on, to people on how they – how you should, you know, act in, a, in an unfree world. Mm-hmm. But – the point is, should this system exist? Should you be able to take someone's domain from them? Should you be able to take someone's street address or their home or their you know or their phone number from them if they violate your trademark rights? And I say no because trademark is inherently wrong, and Ron Paul's case, which by the way, I think he will lose. I think he's he doesn't have a strong case here, but even if he did, it doesn't mean. 
is just. Um, I think he's going to lose this case, and I think he should lose this case. And I think that um, it's horrible that he's doing it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if if, if the government I, – I, I was talking to a friend the other day, and I said, suppose you lived in a society like, you know, pre-Nazi Germany or something like that where it's very racist or anti-Semitic or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the law said, um, if you rent a house from me and if you're a Jew, then any Aryan – can take it from you mm-hmm. by applying to this government tribunal or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, that'd be horrible. And you could imagine some Jews doing what they had to do in that society, and they rent a house, and they know that at any moment some Aryan might want to take their house from them. Now, if you're an Aryan living in that society, should you should you do it? No, of course I not. Say, I say no, God damn it! It's that sounds obvious. Bit, yeah, I agree. Okay, no, I, and so I, I say you should not use the law to take people's property when you can. The thing that the thing that, that kind of differentiates this in my mind, though, is that you don't. The, the, even if trademark law never existed, this exact scenario could happen. But it would be different how? because how? the government Tell would not how. be involved. It's the it it, it's having the government do no, the work that's the problem. The, it could happen that that someone could challenge. Uh, the, say the domain name system was run completely privately, and there was no okay. such thing as trademark laws, and no one had ever even heard of it. Uh, someone right. could say that, oh, um, people are going to this site, and it's coming up something that's not right. It's coming up something but, that's but not the, actually but the, official. But, but, but that's not happening here, really. Right. Honestly, well, sorry, the, yeah. The people are. It's not yeah. happening here. I, I People, think it's no so one's now. Now here's the thing. It would it would be like it would go into the system, and I believe that you're right. It would be rejected. It'd be like this is fine. Like this is not the same as someone just registering RonPaul.com and just slapping it full of ads. Mm-hmm. And then every time you go there, you just see nothing but a page full of ads. You see, they would use. They would essentially be arbitration by the the body that's in, in control of domain names. I think it's so unfortunate that Ron Paul is doing this because there's a few things he's done. He claims that he's a libertarian, but there's all these little tiny mistakes that he's making along the way, partially either for his own gain or to appease the Republican Party that he's with. And people get this kind of messed up notion of what a libertarian really is. Hmm. And it, it kind of deval- he's almost in a way he's kind of devaluing what the uh, notion of a libertarian really is. I was saying all along that Ron Paul is a politician. When mm-hmm. he's done campaigning, he will be a different man. And I was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Stefan, that, that, that what he's doing isn't cool. Yeah, I, I just don't – just because I know how these DNS systems work, it's it's essentially just like a phone book. And essentially it's a it, someone's own – personal comp- like, or business computer it has a list of responses that it's trained to give when you ask it for a, a specific string of characters and that's the response that, that goes back to it and it's it's up to them to maintain that system in such a way that it pleases the users who are making the queries as well as the registers that who are, who are, are asking for the domains so well, I, I, I got- it's not like I disagree with you in, in, in like principle though I got kind of a completely little separate topic here that I, I would love to ask you a question about because I don't know there, there, there's this one thing that kind of you know it, it puts off my my smell meter of this might actually be a bit of a, uh, a a way that the government's abusing copyright themselves and that is uh, 
the idea that municipalities are going to uh, companies like Municipal World, I think there's another one, Municipal Code or something like that. There's actual companies with these names, and they're purchasing um, the right to use pre-made bylaws. And some of them are almost basically setting it up so that the only way you can get a copy of that bylaw is through these uh, companies that wrote it, and therefore it seems to maintain its copyright. Well, this is new to me. I've never heard of, I never heard of this issue. I, I would say that I don't think it's possible to abuse copyright law because it's. I mean, <laughs> that's like saying, that's uh, like saying abusing, you know, your privileges at a Nazi concentration camp or something. I mean, like I know um, um, my city itself actually almost all of the bylaws come from Municipal World, which is a, it's an actual corporation, not a government corporation, that will sell you pre-made uh, bylaws. So you don't have to think – you don't even have to think as the person who's running the city. You can just be like, oh, I thought we'd have a new law about parking. <laughs> Let's go through the menu and choose one. <laughs> I, you know, Of course, they, re, they retain their copyright to that original company, and the company just sells a license for the city to use it and publish it within their books. That is a new one. I mean, <laughs> look, I've had – hundreds of interviews and talks on IP and you've hit me with a new one. I've oh, never heard of this. There you go. You got something to look up. Uh, Dave, see, this is Dave. He's a shit disturber. It's what he does. It's something worth it's looking okay. into because it, it, it just, it, it sets off my, my meter of saying this, this is something that's not right. You know, the, the city can't even be bothered to make its own laws and decides to get itself into the IP market to purchase them. Uh, Stefan, I'm going to try to hit you with a new one, too. I don't know if I'm going to succeed, but here we go. Uh, There's a game called Dead Space 3, and uh, uh, it was released on console, game consoles, and uh, it it had a system where if if you're kind of in a hurry when you're playing the game... Uh, well, first of all, you go in and you collect things, and then the more you collect, the more powerful your dude gets. But if you're in, like, a hurry, you can just kind of go to their site... And uh, you essentially pay uh, like some actual currency uh, and real monies, yeah, real monies, and collect uh, some in-game kind of numbers. So your dude just kind of just immediately gets more powerful stuff. He improves. Yeah. uh, So you you basically just avoided all that work. You know, to get that stuff, you are you're now getting a yeah. If you can call it work, it's a game. It's fun, but sometimes it can it can get kind of dull. It can take a while if it takes a long time, right? So some folks found a way in the game due to an oversight by the programmers (laughs) to collect the same benefit in the game. Really, really fast, over and over and over again. Exactly. So, yeah. so they're collecting. So, so what they, it's a way to circumvent having to pay for it. Like instead of having to, to, um, to say buy items, you can. There's like an area in, in the map where you can go into a room, get an item, leave the room, come back, and it will be. It will spawn a new item. You can grab it and come back, and you can just repeat the process over and over again without actually having to pay money to get these items. Got it. Got and, it. And naturally, people are saying that this is stealing. Because you're, yeah, you're, you're getting the benefit that you would have got by paying money, and it only you didn't pay money. Stealing. Stealing, right? You're stealing. You're right, stealing right, virtual Stephen? things within the, within the world, <laughs> within the actual world that, that is like 
It's only it only exists within your own computer too. It's like no yeah, one else right, has actually right, seen it. Right. And it's the computer's your own property. The game is the you game that the game, you made like by playing it, right? At full you know, price. Yeah. That, that session is yours. So here's yeah. here's what uh, Sarah Ludlum from the the BBC said. Uh, if you go into it's just like a, some IP lawyer. It, she said if you go into a baker's and buy a bun and they give you the wrong change and you walk away knowing you have been given more change than you handed over in the first place, that is theft. Said well, how Sarah about this? How about so this? argue. Suppose, hold on, let like, me just you finish the quote. Bought a whole world. You paid sixty dollars for Dead Space for you. They get, it's basically how, how could, the world. She said. How so argue. If you go say this, that that's not theft. <laughs> if the and you if, go to the baker, if you if you, you go somewhere world, and complete a transaction <laughs> and both parties are satisfied with it, yes. Even if one of the parties completely screwed up and paid you to take it, incidentally, EA is saying that that's not illegal. So yeah, so Sarah continues and says, arguably, if you go into the game knowing you are supposed to be paying for these weapons and you notice a glitch that allows you to accumulate them without paying, that is theft as well. By the way, EA has released a statement about this. Number one, they say yes. that the glitch is actually not a glitch, that it's intentional. And number two, they, just, they say that well. they do not <laughs> intend to patch it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, okay. So <laughs> I would say that this is this is what I would be paid for in a real society. I mean, you know, in a free society. I mean, this is this is the kind of dispute that's interesting. So um, unlike these IP disputes, so I don't know what the answer is. I mean, my my inclination is to say that, you know, caveat emptor. You can do whatever you want within the rules of the game that they permit. If they screw it up, they screw it up. So I, my guess is it's not that. Now, here's, here's the thing. When you get the game, you put it in your machine, you're taking your property and then getting it to do actions that you right. have told it to do. And right. the individual um, like bits and bytes of those actions may have been decided upon by someone else, but still you're the agent who is, who is, who is convincing your device to behave in this way. And then one of the things that it can do is phone out to the internet and then send them money through your credit card and then get an authorization code back and then verify it. And essentially, it's the thing you're telling the device to kind of work against your own interest because you're, you're, most people are just too lazy to hack it. And uh, the, now they, they found a way that's easier to convince their own device to do the thing that they want it to do without having to pay. So theft, I guess. Well, I, I do think that – let's take a, a related case. Uh, let's say that you – like the case of identity theft. So let's say you figure out someone's social security number and their other identity, and you walk into the bank, and you persuade the bank that you're this person, right? You lie, mm-hmm. and you persuade the bank to give you a million dollars out of their bank account. Now – is that an act of theft or not? And I think it is, and it's because – it's not because it's a lie, but it's because it was just the means of accessing property that you didn't have the right to. Yeah. Right? But that's the question here. The question is who yeah. has – what was the understanding between the that, parties? That seems like fraud to me. I don't know about theft. Like, well, but, but yeah, I, it is fraud, but fraud means – like you collect when you're not owed, and then you make off, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but 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 people use fraud to mean deceptiveness or lying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Hang on. I think I think we're kind of not striking at the root here, and that's to say, why do we even have banks and money in the first place? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, let, let's let's <laughs> imagine a, a 
a house that you own and you yeah. you know someone persuades the butler to let you in yeah. because they I mean we can make it about real property if we want but okay um, now, well yeah. here's here's the thing that would happen in this case if EA just vaporized off the face of the planet um the only option remaining to you would be to do this kind of hack if you wanted to get that the, the in-game benefits quickly mm-hmm so what, essentially what they're doing is just kind of pretending with entirely within their own property, just pretending that EA doesn't exist. So I find that uh, – like it's not like they're phoning EA through the system even. It's not like they're saying to EA, like tricking their faraway servers that, that are in EA headquarters saying, hey, EA headquarters, how about I give you zero dollars – and I'm going to trick you by sending this this series of bytes, and then it's, it's essentially you're hacking it, and then it replies back with the code that gives you the the in-game benefits. Mm-hmm. Now that everyone would agree, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and that that could be even considered theft of a kind. But what has instead is happening is that they're doing all of this strictly within the bounds of their own property. You know, this Entirely sort local. of thing has existed, especially with computers, for way longer than this game. I know of another example, although I don't know of any legal examples of anyone doing anything wrong with it, but uh, IBM used to sell you a server with various parts of it disabled. You purchased it, and you owned the hardware, but IBM disabled parts of it, and you could then phone up IBM and say, oh, I need more CPU power, I'd like another CPU, and IBM would say, okay, type these things in and give us, you know, $20,000, and then, boom, that other CPU would turn on and you'd have more power. Um, of course, if you could magically come up with that code without ever talking to IBM, you could go and start unlocking everything and end up with lots of server for yeah, very little so, money. So if you do that, have you stolen from IBM? Because you owned all of that property to start with. It's just that parts of it weren't turned on because the circuits were energized, let's say. You know, I suppose that there is an argument for the side of IBM there that they might say... Um, like if there was an explicit contract, for example, yeah, that pretty much tidies it up right there. Mm-hmm. Say you 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 agree not to hack it, then done. Yeah, like, they have a no engineer. They have a no reverse engineering clause, don't they? Yeah, yeah. and then you get into the fun stuff like implicit contracts. Does Dead Space Three have an implicit contract to that end? Contract <laughs> laws. I don't know. Well, they always have these end user license agreements that are pretty darn thick. Contract law has so many weird things about it. I'm sure as a lawyer you've seen some crazy stuff. One that that always sticks in my mind is one of the most ridiculous decisions I've ever seen was uh, Tilden versus Clendenning where literally he rented a car from Tilden, drove around drunk in it, crashed it up, and of course his contract said that Tilden wasn't liable for him driving drunk in the car, so he had to go and buy Tilden a free car. And he argued that it was a contract of adhesion because he was in a rush to rent the car, and <laughs> thus the contract didn't apply, and he actually won. Oh, my God. So it, by oh Canadian law, basically most of the stuff that you get in a contract when you rent a car is crap that you can just go and argue you didn't agree with, even though you got to see it. Well, yeah, even contract law has been distorted by the state. The, the, the contract of adhesion is called a flypaper contract sometimes mm-hmm. in uh, – in law, what it means is it, it, the idea is that some people are so weak and so dependent and so powerless, they're they're, they're like flies drawn to flypaper and they mm-hmm. get stuck to it. So if you walk into someone's house and say, 
would you like a taxi to the airport? And they say, well, I don't know. You're the the only ride I have or whatever. So you have bargaining power. So it's based on this co-scene idea of bargaining power, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people have too much bargaining power. And if you abuse this bargaining power, then the contract is not legitimate because you – you the other party had no choice right yeah so it's like you know oh like you come across someone starving uh you know dying of thirst in the desert and you say i have a a flask of water one million dollars i'll give it to you for a million bucks mm-hmm. so you have to agree to that now so the question is should that be a legitimate contract or is it coerced mm-hmm. now you could come up with some ideas why that's not legitimate but it's not really coerced yeah i mean because yeah. Unless yeah. you stuck I mean, that guy in the you're, desert. You're not, you're not bound yeah. to give that to him for any price you want. I mean, it the still only, winds up being a voluntary. The only types of contracts I can see that are truly unfair, that are wrong, are the sort of things where um, if you go in and uh, you, let's say you have a valet park your car and they hand you a receipt for it and you read on the back of it, it says that the valet is not responsible for damage and he's already driving his, your car a- away that should not be a valid contract. At no point did you have an opportunity to disagree. You couldn't even right. say, right. you know, they, they just presented you with some brand new terms after that's they took the keys also, and drove away. That's also why they have something called a cool-down period or a buyer's cool-down period, I think. Yes. Well, that's, those, those are kind of a little bit cheap, though. I mean, basically, yeah. it lets somebody sit there, consider it. You know, there's some salesman at the door. They consider it. They, they decide they'll buy it, and then five days later, they're like, Oh, Cancel I didn't it. really yep. like it, you know, and then they'll, yeah, they can basically get out of the contract. And that always seems yep. kind of cheap to me. Yep. Guys, I got to go in a second. So uh, you guys want to wrap it up? Oh, okay. yeah, sure. Well, uh, yeah, we're getting pretty close to the uh, the two-hour mark. So let's go ahead and close out the show. So All right. thanks for listening. Great having you over. Yes, thanks a lot, uh, Stefan, and uh, thanks for listening to everyone. So if you have any questions or comments, visit libertybeat.ca. You can get the show archives, the live streams, and even the latest instructions on how to contact the show. You can uh, drop us a line or even join the show and and talk to us live. So thank you, and goodbye. Thank you, guys. Enjoyed it. Spectacular.